Hello there, this is Dixie Dixon, Nikon ambassador and fashion photographer, and you are listening to the Angry Millennial Podcast. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the Angry Millennial Podcast with your host, Jose Rosado, and co-host, Stevie Chris, where we talk to creatives and entrepreneurs from all walks of life and passions about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Be sure to check out our site, theangrymillennialshow.com, and sign up for our newsletter to be eligible for prizes and giveaways, as well as stay up to date with new shows and upcoming guests. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, who doesn't love really well-designed photography clothing? Check out clickgearclothing.com, a lifestyle for urban photographers, all Angry Millennial listeners can use coupon code ANGRYPHOTO to receive 20% off any order. And the first three people who sign up for our newsletter after the show will get a free $25 gift card. Now, guys, be sure to also check them out on Instagram at ClickGearClothingLTD. What's going on, AM Nation? And welcome to the Angry Millennial Show. Today, we're chatting with writer and digital evangelist, John Westenberg. John, awesome, thanks, for, thanks, thanks for making it out, man. No, of course. I know you're all the way in uh, Australia. So where in Australia are you from? Yeah, so Sydney, Australia. That's where I'm based. Oh, nice. Nice. Are you born and raised there? Uh, actually, no. I've, I've lived all over Australia. So I've lived Adelaide, um, Brisbane, Darwin, Perth, everywhere. Wow. Sydney, your favorite spot so far? Oh, absolutely. The surfing's great. Nice, nice. Awesome, awesome. So uh, let's just start off in the beginning. You know, were, were you always creative? Uh, did, did writing come first for you? Yeah, I mean, I've always been pretty fascinated by creativity. You know, I was, when I was a kid, I was a big artist. I used to draw all the time. You know, I'd, everywhere I'd go in the car, I'd pack my notebook and I'd scribble it with pictures of anything I saw. But, you know, I used to write a lot too. So I'd make up stories about anything going on around me. You know, so I'd... I'd always have my head full of these little ideas about characters and elves and things like that. Oh, wow. It was always fun. You know, I was I was a nerdy kid and I, I loved creating stuff. I've always been that way inclined. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, going forward a little bit to your adult years, uh, you're a graduate from the University of Technology out of Sydney. And you also have a master's in digital communications. So tell me what was mm. what was that degree like since it's a rather new concentration in the last few years? Oh, I, I hate to be that guy, but it was <laughs> it it was a big waste of cash, put yeah. it that way. I mean, look, University of Technology is a great school, but I found in the end I didn't really learn anything that I didn't already know mm-hmm. from just being a digital native. You know, right. I mean, like when you live technology, when you live online, you, you pick up this stuff innately. You know, you start to know it. You start to live and breathe it. Mm-hmm. So when you're studying it, a lot of the time you're learning from people who aren't necessarily as up with the times as you are, you know. Right. There from a few years back, and they don't really necessarily get it in the same way. And I feel like when you're in that situation, you might not learn as much as you possibly could if you just sat down on the internet and let yourself. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's and that's actually something. The reason why I want to ask you about that was because I was wondering if they would if they would because uh, I, I was a communications major, and I always wondered if now with digital communications majors if it was just like the same principles as before, only that you had different digital vehicles now to like deliver your message, you know? 
Um, Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I studied public relations in my first degree, and when I did digital communications years later for my master's, it was pretty much the same kind of stuff, just with um, Twitter, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, all right. Well, I mean, I, I, I can honestly say that that's the... Um, that's been the biggest thing that a lot of people, I mean, nowadays, you know, are, are saying that with technology the way it is, it's it's really hard, you know, to to really justify what's going on and saying that, you know, in in lieu of uh, learning it yourself and using all the free or uh, low cost alternatives that are out there online now, uh, it just it just makes it really hard to see a lot of the. Uh, value that goes into traditional education. Uh, wow, it's. Yeah, I mean, let me drop yeah. something on you. Right? I have currently my, my university debt all up is $98,000. Wow. That I have sitting there to pay off. You know, like that's, yeah. that's a lot of money to pay yeah. off. And when, when, I, when I weigh that much money against what I learned, it doesn't feel worth it. It really right. doesn't. You know, it's yeah. like, what could I have achieved with $98,000 and the internet on my own? A lot more. Yeah. Yeah. No, you said it. I mean, it definitely is, you know, I'm the same way. I have a master's as well. And I, yeah, I asked that. You know, I wonder that sometimes if if I ever kind of regret it. But I mean, one thing I'm, is for sure, it's almost 10 years now, at least from, from uh, graduate school. And like, wow, you know, like you said it, I, the amount of, of how much tuition has gone up just in the last 10 years is preposterous. And that's a that's a yeah. relevant question people have nowadays. It's like if I'm not learning really anything groundbreaking from ten years ago, what why is it twice the cost? You know, other than inflation. <laughs> you know Absolutely. what I mean? And it, I mean, like if if I look back, there's only one thing that I picked up from uni that was worthwhile, which was when I met my girlfriend there. No, she <laughs> like that's the only thing that makes any of it worthwhile. And you know, we're still together today. So that's that's a positive, but yeah. that was the only good thing I picked up. Yeah, no, yeah, you said it. So, you know, speaking of that, uh, you have this, speaking of like your own work and that kind of thing, you have this uh, great article titled, There's Only One Business Worth Starting. And it, mm. there's there's this uh, great line in it that it goes, can I drop something on you? Tech startups, platforms, marketplaces, and scalability are not the only markers of a successful business. And they're not the only focus of happy entrepreneurs. Yeah. You know, and I, I believe that. I love that. Because to me, you're basically calling out the current trend in entrepreneurship that I also get a lot. That is, you know, it states that everything must be scalable, right? No matter what your idea is, oh, it's not scalable, you know? And it's it's frustrating because, you know, like you said, I mean, it's you know, it, it's, it's, it's a really dumb, dumb kind of ideology to have, you know, but yeah, right mean, now it's a everything. bunch of the people who say this. Yeah. A bunch of people who say that are like venture capitalists, but you know, their businesses aren't scalable. You know? Like a VC's business is only scalable as the partners and staff that they have. Right. So like, it, like, sure. They, they say that only scalable businesses are worth pursuing, but they're not pursuing that themselves. So you have to kind of think, okay, well, there are a lot more different approaches to business than just this scalable tech startup because even the people who are involved with tech don't always follow that. Right, yeah. No, and it's, you know, like you said, you hear it a lot, like you said, from people who who basically are going to profit off of said company uh, and and say that, okay, that's, you know, 
And it's funny, you know, I think of what you were saying um, about basically being okay with uh, having a small, successful company. And Mm. all you ever hear about in the VC world are big, scalable ideas, you know, billion-dollar ideas. But then when you think of small uh, company or small companies, all I think of, I don't know about Australia, but is local banks, right? They give you a small business loan. And I wonder if maybe VCs are kind of, you know, uh, hurting themselves and saying they don't get into the micro loan kind of industry. I think that'd be even more interesting. Probably not as sexy. I mean, I'd be very interested in what a small business tech fund looks like. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That'd be something interesting. I don't don't know what it looks like. I got no ideas. Exactly. It's just that concept is floating around my head. You know, I've always wanted to start something called a 2K fund, which is just every year put $2,000 into a small business. Hmm. And that's the entire purpose of the fund, you know. So I'm trying to work on that myself right now with my girlfriend. You know, we oh, are, nice. We're hoping this year that we'll, that we'll put 2000 bucks of our own money into someone's small business as like a way to kick that off, you know. Like, and what will happen if we do that? You know, is this going to help our local community if we put $2,000 every year of our own cash into a small business or a community project that exists in our neighborhood? Right. No, yeah. And, and it's, like you said, I mean, I, I mean, I love the... Follow up and let me know because I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah, to kind of to kind of see. Um, and in that article, you talk a lot about building a business. You know, you love, and you know, it seems mm. like common sense. But you know what? The more you ask people, they always try and compare your business to some huge success and tell you whether the idea yeah. is viable or not with that billionaire bust mm. mentality, right? Mm. And it, yeah. it just yeah. it just isn't the case, as we know. You know what I mean? Most people look for an alpha that they can follow as a pack. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way that's the way creatives work. That's the way businesses work. That's why if you see one band of a certain kind of sound become uh, have a big hit, you can guarantee that within a year there will be 20 other of those bands on the radio because people just follow with whatever has been successful. So if there's been one particular tech business, within a year there'll be a whole bunch of others, you know, like Uber. We have Uber one year and suddenly we have Uber for X. Mm-hmm. And we have that over and over again. People just follow it, whatever is successful, and they try to put their own spin on it and turn it into their own thing because they think, hey, that's a sure thing. I'm going to make a bet on that too. Right. And I mean, look, to some extent, there's nothing wrong with that. If something has been successful, it does mean that there is room to innovate around that. That's I accept that. But there's also something dangerous if all your ideas only come from building on recent successes instead of trying to define what the next big success is going to be on your own. Mm. Yeah, you said it. It's, you know, all you're doing is essentially recycling the same idea. Um, yes, you know, that's exactly right. Which, and look, I'm, I'm all for recycling, but not when it comes to creativity. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's true. And it, the one thing that kills me, I love movies. I love films. But all you see nowadays, yeah. especially, is all these reboots. And you sit there and go like, oh, absolutely. Like, really? Like, uh, is yeah, he, every genuine original idea gone? Yeah. How, how come every single action movie right now finishes with a climax where there's something big attacking a city? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> every single one finishes like that. You know, yeah. like Ghostbusters that I saw the other day. Love the movie, but it finishes with the same big thing attacking a city or like Independence Day or like the Avengers movies or any of this stuff. It is always the same big climax. It's like we've, we've reached this idea that that's the only 
climax worth having in a movie, which I – and this is my crazy idea. I think it's like a, a post-9-11 thing where everyone looked at 9-11 and was like, that is the worst thing that could happen. Well, if we're having a big climax in a movie, it'll be like 9-11. Wow. That's my big idea. Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. Um, but would you, yeah, Hollywood's just copying that big climax over and over again, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, know, I never thought of it. And that, like you said, that that's kind of been more of a way overdone trend in the last, you know, in this new millennium, at least, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and you said it. I mean, it's 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 one of those things that unless you really, and I'm sure there's someone out there, there's always someone who has way too much time in their hands that will make like, connect all these dots <laughs> along all the summer blockbusters for the last 15 years and see, okay, have we been seeing a trend that started, you know, let's just say in 2003 when it was seemingly okay to mm. kind of go back in that direction. It wasn't you know, too soon. Um, but yeah. one, of, one of your latest articles, and this one I actually uh, read today and I loved, was there's more to life than being a fucking entrepreneur. And it brought up... Boom. Yeah. <laughs> It brought up a good point that is not talked about a lot, and I think we should get into. And it's it's the idea that it's okay to simply be an employee. Yes, you know, I, I mean, tell tell me about what, kind of what your thoughts were on that. Um, you know, writing that article, and then I'd also yeah. like to get your thoughts on entrepreneurs themselves. You know, being okay with taking jobs now and again to feed their personal endeavors. Cause I think in, in your, in your article, you're making the case that which a lot of people also don't realize is that not everyone's supposed to be an entrepreneur. Right. Mm, but yeah. how about the people that, you know, like myself, I, I'm always of the, the big picture that to me, if it means like I'm going to take a job for six months or a year of my life and, and people outward, looking in say oh well why are you giving up on your your own stuff and if it's strategically you know going to help me in some way um you know with with what i'm doing i have no problem doing it you know but i think that's a also a good question to ask yourself because it's not just a job for the sake of a job you know but tell me about that article and 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 kind of uh, how it came about Sure. Well, I mean, it really came about because every single time I meet people, the first thing they say to me is, what's your startup? You know, and, you know, it's, it's a fair question. I, I see why people ask that. But my response is normally, I don't necessarily have to have a startup, you know, like I am an employee. I, I manage strategy for an awesome financial services firm here in Sydney. I, I do that, um, which, you know, I love. It's some great challenges. I work with some great people. I have a mentor here who's just been really good for, you know, helping me through some ideas and stuff like that. And I've had a, a bunch of jobs I've loved in my life and, and I've learned. One thing that I often say, and I get emails from, you know, 17-year-old entrepreneurs all the time, and they're always like, hey, I'm a teenage entrepreneur. What's your advice? What should I do? And I always say, go get a job. You know, like go and find someone that you can learn from and you can learn under because there is nothing wrong with that. And in fact, you should be proud that you've had a job and you've been a part of a team and you've built something with some other people. And so I think there's, there's some kind of problem where we don't respect that anymore. You know, I mean, if we didn't, if, if we all thought like that, if we all were obsessed with being entrepreneurs, if no one wanted to be an employee, then we wouldn't have any of the stuff that we have today. Like you and I wouldn't be talking here on on this podcast over Skype because there would have been no employees working for Microsoft to make Skype happen. 
You know, I, I mentioned in my article the idea of The Clash. You know, they're my favorite band. Mm-hmm. I would not be able to listen to The Clash if it wasn't for the, the employees who went to work in the factories that made the vinyl records that I listened to The Clash on. You know, if I listened to if I listened to the music on Spotify, I could not do that without the designers and the programmers and the sales teams and the customer support people who work every day to make Spotify happen. Mm-hmm. So we do need entrepreneurs because they're the people who founded Spotify. But those entrepreneurs couldn't do shit if they didn't have these these teams of people working under them to make their dreams a reality. Right. And so I think we do need to respect those people. You know, we can't look down right. on them because we need them. I am one of them. We are all employees sooner or later. You know, yeah. like there's nothing wrong with that. And to be so condescending as to say, "Oh, you can only build your own dream. You're wasting your life if you build someone else's." That's just. Uh, like that's that comes from a place of entitlement that I'm not comfortable with. Right? Yeah, no, it's it's true. I mean, I, you know, it, it, it's. I always joked around. I said that I was kind of pushed into entrepreneurship because when I graduated college was in, you know, or grad school was in 2008, and it was a horrible time, like we know anywhere to find a job. Yeah, that was tough time. It was tough, but um, you know, I, yeah, I mean, now go even even from then, you know, even the last eight ten years, now it's like it's dead sexy to be an entrepreneur. Like you said, you know, it's, it's the first question out of everyone's mouth. A little bit too sexy. Oh God. Yeah. Everything on Instagram or Twitter is some sort of, you know, entrepreneur account with watches and Ferraris and chicks asses and yachts and shit like that. And it's it's way oversaturated, but you know, look, I'll be honest. I do not have a Ferrari or a yacht. (laughs) I got none of that shit. Exactly. I don't think even half people who have those accounts do. They just either recycle photos or they nah. rent them. But you know, that's a new. Yeah, new I mean, I, I have a Mazda and a surfboard, and I'm I'm pretty happy with that. <laughs> exactly. Nice. So, <clears throat> um, speaking of that, you know, like you, you had this. Um, well, we both kind of had this article that is under the same kind of umbrella, and it was yours was um, from Apple to Buffer. Here's 20 companies who rejected me, right? Yeah. And one I put was, uh, you know, why I'm sharing my my open and vulnerable, upworthy cover letter after I got turned down for the job. And, and you know, for me, it was really weird that that I usually like you. I I put stuff on Medium. I put stuff on my own blog. I put stuff on LinkedIn. And like I said, of all of them, most of the time, LinkedIn's like my least you know, checked out platform. And for some reason, this one ended up getting a lot of traction on there, you know, over 300, you know, likes, a bunch of shares, you know, hundred some comments. And, and then I obviously kind of realized I put it on a job forum, <laughs> you know, but it was, you know, for me, it was, people told me like, don't do that. People told me like, this is the bad idea. Like, why are you putting it out there? You're never now. You're never going to get a job upworthy. All this kind of stuff. And but for me, it was it was kind of twofold. It was it was one to kind of motivate me to push me past the no and really make my own thing work. And two, maybe just like yours was um, kind of like a digital archiving of how I felt at that time. You know. And saying I, I really wanted this job, it was yeah. something that when I on paper and everything else felt really good. I knew someone whose brother worked there and and still had connections there, and you know, 
it, it felt good, you know, and uh, but ultimately it didn't happen. But tell me, you know, what, what about you? What was the intention with your article? For me, it was tying into my my kind of motto that I have. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a band called The Germs. Mm-mm. Okay, so they were like an L.A. punk band from like 1978 or whatever. Um, a lot of the stuff I talk about is through the paradigm of punk rock because I'm obsessed <laughs> nice. with it and I'm a huge punk rock nerd. Anyway, so The Germs had this kind of thing. It was like everything we do is secret and it was like the the calling card, the catchphrase, whatever. All mine is everything I do is public. So like, I try to live pretty publicly. If I'm experiencing a low, it's on my blog. You know, if, I'm, if I'm on a high, it's on my blog. If I'm hungry, I'll tweet about it. If, if, I'm, if I've applied for a bunch of jobs like I did back then and I got rejections from Apple, I'm going to write about it. You know, like, it, it makes sense to me to try to share that level you know, of engagement with me, right. with my audience, because I want them to get to know me. Right. And if they get to know my worst moments, my rejection, how it feels to go through that, then they're getting to know a more authentic version of me than the guy who's posting inspirational quotes on fucking Instagram. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that kind of authenticity matters to me. Right. You know, like, at the same time, I think there's something you can learn from that. You know, like, so now, um, you know, I, I don't apply for jobs mm-hmm. but like that. Like, I do not do that. I don't apply for opportunities. I don't go and beg people to give me a break. I open myself up to opportunities and I pursue things that I love and I watch where the world comes from. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've kind of let go of rejection. I no longer deal with rejection because I don't try to be rejected. Hmm. No, and you, you know, you brought up a good point that um, that for me was, you know, it was tough. And, and, and you said it, that, you open up yourself for the fact that that's the way people get to know you, right? And get to know you at your, yeah. like you said, at your most vulnerable moments. And at that point, if they can, if if people who follow your work can see you at that moment, and then they can actually appreciate and and really cheer you on when you hit those highs. And it, mm-hmm. you know, it, it brings up something that. I talked about last night in uh I started teaching this this blogging class at a local college and and we were talking about that about the fact that you should be open that it shouldn't just be dry you should inject your personality into your writing and that kind of thing and you know at first people were like oh but why you know I, I it's, that's my own personal life and this is something else and it's like yeah but it, if you want it to be like you said authentic if you want it to be uh something relatable you're going to have to you know because it's you know, it, it's funny. Like I told the story of I had two friends who, uh, in per, like personally to me, one was complaining that you know they had a studio, but things were tough and they couldn't find enough people to rent it, and you know they were having trouble covering the rent of that and their um, their uh, apartment. Then another friend of mine comes to me with an opposite problem that he couldn't find. Uh, a studio and you know that he was getting upset and he wanted to he had a bunch of clients but he was paying way too much money for renting other ones but he wanted to have his own space and we all met up and it was and and had nothing to do with what that we just happened to be friends but what's really interesting is i'm watching them and before i had a chance to kind of start the conversation Right, like, hey, you guys should should talk. You know, like you guys should, could help each other. They, uh, I hear them start talking, 
and they go, Hey, so what's going on with you, man? Ah, uh, you know, just fucking killing it. And uh, just been shooting every day. Things are awesome. You know, getting new clients all the time. And, uh, you know, it's going, things, things awesome, man. Things great. And then he goes, how about you? Ah, oh, dude, same, man. Same. I'm like never home anymore. And, uh, you know, I'm just shooting all the time. And, you know, I can't keep up with the client work. I had to bring on a virtual assistant. Like the biggest fucking dick swinging pissing contest I've ever seen. Mind you, they're friends. Like, to me, I just, I'm laughing, going like, this is what's wrong. Like, if mm. they both were open I agree, yeah. and honest, they'd realize they could help each other out. And their problems would be gone. But we have this thing, yeah. you know, about social media or whatever else that's cultivated this highlight reel fucking uh, ideology that you can't ever talk about the fact that, you know, shit's bad, you know? Yeah, and I don't like that. You know, I like I like living in public. Yeah, and one thing you wrote about that I I also thought was neat, and I'm wonder if I if I if I uh, subscribe to the same thinking, was you go, you said something along the lines of whenever I'm I'm gonna take a big leap, I I can I put it out there like a lot, like I I shout it from the mountaintops, and I thought it was interesting because you said, now, I gotta fucking do it. <laughs> like that is right, yeah. I mean that is the the fire under the your ass that you need you know and to yeah. say embarrass yourself into exactly yeah. exactly is like shit now I really gotta fucking do it you know All and, the way, yeah. uh, and I know for me that was something I did recently I, I don't know I don't know why but I, I again I know why make it happen but I even said um I said, I want to get The Rock on the show. And I, I put it out there and I was like, hey, who wants to hear us talk to The Rock? You know, it's uh, Dwayne Johnson. And same thing. It was kind of the same attitude. It was like, now people are out there. Now people are like, hey, sweet, dude. Let me know when you get him on. I'd love to listen to that episode. And now in my head, I'm like, fuck. <laughs> it's like, that is not going to be easy. Yeah, but, but now there's more chance. Exactly. Do it. Now it's not just like a pipe dream. Now it's like something tangible you put out there in front of the world. So now yeah, it's, it's got to happen. Right, you know? right. You know, so I, th- I think that's great. So tell me what, you know, and, and I think you kind of alluded to a little bit already. What's your creative process like with, you know, with your writing? Because you, you know, you are fucking prolific with the amount of content you put out there. I mean, it's, it's insane. And and even before we started chatting, you ended up telling me that you do everything on an iPad, which even blows my mind even more. But um, you know, tell me what what's your creative process like? I mean, it, you know, is it like journaling? Is it you know just writing everything down and then and then coming out? Like for me, like I put out, I'll put it, I'll put a, a headline of an article, and that'll be it for a while. And then I'll sit on it and then I'll go back and look at it and I'll put a couple bullets underneath it. And then I'll just keep doing that. I'll keep going back and fleshing it out. But what, what's what's your process like? Trust hmm. I mean, I stick with three drafts. That's my rule. I have a three draft rule. So I have, you know, maybe seventy blog post topics in a, in my Evernote. And every single day when I write a blog post, I tick off one of my one of my topics from that list of seventy, and I go down to the bottom. I add another one on. Hmm. So every single day, if I write a blog post, I got to come up with an idea for another one as well. Hmm. Um, when I start writing a post, my three draft rule is first draft, I just, you know, it's like word vomit. I just fucking yeah. get it all on the page. Second draft, I tighten it. Third draft, I 
polish it, and then I have to publish it. If I finish my third draft and I hate it, that doesn't matter. It still gets published. If I finish the third draft and I'm like, oh, there's so much more I could do, it's like, well, fuck it. You should have thought of that before, John. <laughs> publish it. You know? Yeah. And if, and if after I publish it, I'm like, man, I could have taken a different approach to it, then I'm like, okay, well, write another post on the same topic later and make it better. It doesn't have to be all in that one post. So that's kind of like my, my creative process. It's I'm I'm very mean. And I'm ruthless. I don't I don't waste time thinking about you know wonderful magic and fairy dust and how can I make this some beautiful expression of my fucking artistic <laughs> soul. No, I get you. No, done. that's awesome, man. And like you said, that's that's yeah. the number one thing in writing, right? Or any honestly, any any creative endeavor yeah. is you know just just do it. All right, don't be caught forever in beta. You know what I mean? Just just fucking get it up yeah, there and yeah. then. Like you said, Nike were right, yeah. you know. Like you said, if you Do want it. to make it better, just expand upon it in another post, and that one's going to be. And then, and then in yeah. the, in that one, you can link back to the original, you know, and and it all it all kind of works yeah. like that. It kind of builds upon itself. Absolutely, that's funny. You're like, if I hate it, I'm still gonna I also it find that, yeah, yeah, yeah. If my, I find the iPad is really useful in that because it's it's so free of distractions. You can't have a million windows open at once. You know, you're you can have a split screen, sure, but like that's maximum of two things you can look at at the same right. time. Which means that you you're pretty much focused on this full screen writing app that you're working on. You know, there's there's no bells and whistles getting in right. the way. That for me is pretty important. I've got all these restrictions on what I can and can't do then. So you know I'm writing in normally an IA writer and in on my main screen I've got a little sidebar of Evernote with any notes about it that's it there's nothing else to worry right, about right oh yeah I mean I gotta ask do you have one of those like keyboard covers for your iPad at least no way so not a keyboard cover I use an Apple Magic the actual keyboard. iPad no um, no I, I use an Apple oh, Magic okay, keyboard okay good because I was going to say if you were literally that typing on the good. iPad I can I can type as fast on an iPad as I can on a keyboard shut the fuck up yeah that's that's awesome it's crazy yeah because i i I never i haven't had an ipad for like two years three years i just i can't i can't write on it like i I just i don't know what it is bear in mind i have a i have a 12.5 inch ipad pro so they're pretty okay okay yeah i have an air okay i have one of them in in my bedroom nice all right so um I gotta say, your writing list of clients is impressive to say the least. So we got HubSpot, the New York Observer, Huffington Post, Business Insider, and all those coming pretty much within the last year. So tell me, you know, what 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 do you contribute the recent successes? I mean, is it literally like you said, just that you were literally putting out that much content that it started hitting kind of a uh, you know a, um a peak, right? Where people were starting to check out your stuff and, and you were getting more press that way. Yeah, I think that's it. You know, I think um it's awesome to do a chain reaction. You want to get published in one publication, you often leads to some more. So, you know, um I got in half in the post and then because of that I got in Business Insider. And because of Business Insider I got in Upworthy. And because of Upworthy I got in time. You know, it's just it's the way yeah. that works. Yeah, just constantly leveraging one for the next one for the yeah, next leveraging, one. Yeah. So was it and, and that's a good question too. I mean, was it was it you kind of going, okay, I'm gonna leverage I'm gonna I'm in this one. I'm now going to leverage it to the next one. 
or was it just kind of organic? Because we know like a lot of people, right? Organic, yeah. Who, who write just for organic. these things? I mean, they need a shitload of content, and they're kind of always checking out what the competition's doing and hoping, all right, this article seems cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll pick that up and write about it too. Yeah, that's right. right. That's interesting. So, have you ever um, read the book "Trust Me, I'm Lying" by Ryan Holiday? No, I haven't. It sounds interesting, though. I am reading his book. Um, Ego oh, nice! Enemy. Yes, his latest one. Because um, yeah, I have, uh, I've read, I've read like growth hacking or growth hacking marketing. Um, I think it's growth hacker marketing, and uh, and I I read. Um, uh, trust me, I'm lying. And I thought it was it was stuff that I knew, and I remember like hearing. Because those are some of the older ones he's written, and and I remember hearing about him when he wrote them, and hearing kind of the stories and stuff like that of things he would do to kind of manipulate the media, and and I thought it was genius. But literally, while I was reading the actual book, it blew my mind because that's exactly how it works. You know, like no one wants to say it, yeah, and it's like yeah, like the blogging kind of but system, running digital kind of system is it's fucked. You know what I mean? And and uh, and like you said, it's a lot of this. There's stuff. a quote from Marshall McLuhan I love about that. Yeah, yeah. So how how's the um, new one? I don't always. Marshall McLuhan said, "Yeah, the new one's fantastic. It's a really good book. It's um, you know, there's a lot of stuff I can learn from them. I'm a massive egotist. You know, I think I'm wonderful. So this book, I'm hoping, is going to take me down a peg or two. My girlfriend says I'm. My girlfriend says I'm an arrogant tool sometimes. <laughs> so maybe I'll learn something from it. You know? So you, I can you say. Um, yeah, there's a really good quote from a guy called Marshall McLuhan. Yeah, he, he said, I don't always believe everything I say. <laughs> nice. Which I think is, this was like in the 1960s, but I think that's pretty much the clearest expression of what being a blogger is like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's true. And, and it's, it's just, it's, I gotta say, it was just, it was just putting up a really great, uh, sadly, you wish it was a parody, but it was truth, like mirror to you know the, mm. the industry yeah. as a whole, and it was it was awesome. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. So uh, from following on Medium, like I said, you're you're a great testament, you know, to to the motivational tactic of us writers to get our ass in gear because yeah. you put shit up, like, like you said, every day. Like you're putting up shit like every crazy. Day. Uh, you also have, I did this. Morning. Oh, nice. Well, yeah, I actually, that, that was one I read, right? Yeah. Um, but so you have 46,000 followers on medium right now, right? 53,000. Oh, yeah. All right. This is in the last time we spoke. Jesus. So that was, yeah. I forget. So, yeah. yeah. So just to obviously allude to, we were supposed to chat a few weeks ago and we ended up having to reschedule. So mm-hmm. from 46 to 53. Awesome. Um, but how do you come across yeah. medium? And what made you decide to be so bullish about the platform itself? Yeah, to be honest, um, I came across it just because I, I follow tech news pretty addictively. And as soon as I heard something about it, I was like, oh, fuck, I've got to check out this platform. The reason I'm so bullish about it is because it feels like blogging platforms used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I loved LiveJournal. I loved Blogger. I loved things like that. And for me, meeting feels like an extension of that, but with just so much better content, so much better writing going on, you know? So I just, like, I love the platform. I love the team behind it. The staff that I've talked to from Medium are fantastic people. They're really supportive. And I just, I really like it. Here's an example of why I love Medium so mm-hmm. much. 
Um, I published a post a few weeks ago uh, wishing my Islamic readers a happy Eid. Um, and there was something like 50-something comments. And of that, only like two or three were people being dicks. Like only two or three people being anti-Islamic. The rest of it was just you know, wonderful people saying thank you and um, wishing people you know, a happy Eid as well. And there's, there's very few social networks like that where you can post something about Islam and not have a whole bunch of people just jump on that being racist. Yeah. And that, that was just a, a great example of a really good platform. If you can reach that level, then that's a that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, you said it. I mean, it, it's nowadays. I mean, Christ, even even not, you know, uh, uh, something as as polarizing as as a religion, you know, Islamic religion, you still get tons of people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just. And I mean, I thought Medium was going to go down that route a while right. ago. Um, I used to get death threats on Medium. Really? Um, oh, yeah. This was one guy threatened to find me, cut my arms off to stop me from writing such <laughs> shitty blog posts. <laughs> Sorry. Some other guy, and this was not a funny one. Some other guy threatened to find, rape, and kill my Wow. Girlfriend. Okay. Jesus Christ. Just because he didn't like my blog. Yeah. You know, like, that's yeah. just, that's intense. Yeah. So for a while there, I just stopped reading Medium's comments, but... You know, I'm starting to hope that maybe it's swinging back the other way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and let's be honest, if there's anything that's going trending right now, it's Islam and and the U.S. presidential election. So, I mean, if you posted something recently about it and you got that response, I mean, that's great. You know, because nowadays you just post anything and people are just like throwing out racist stuff. And you're like, I really? What I had for lunch today? What does that have anything to do? Well, because yeah. I ate pork? I ate what? You know? And it's just, yeah. It's just so dumb. Yeah. Um, but tell me, with, with with your writing and everything else, it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, it, you know, it seems like every day when you're, when you're kind of uh, writing and posting all the time that there's, you know, those are kind of like your own little personal projects, you know? Um, but, but as we all know, writing every day, even when it's topics that we're passionate about and everything else, it, it can become a, you know, a job, right? And, it, you know, are there, are there any personal projects you've been working on? Maybe they're completely different from writing. Um, and what are your thoughts on personal projects as a whole? Yeah. So, I mean, I've got a bunch of projects I'm working on right now. I'm like a lot of them are tied to writing because that's pretty much my talent area. Um, so I'm working on a thriller, a novel. It's a young adult thriller right now. It's kind of about technology and um, entrepreneurs, but there's also a bit of bit of murder and intrigue there as well. So that's kind cool. of fun. Um, I'm working on a book proposal for a publisher in the US about what it's like to follow your dreams and fail. Nice. That's awesome. Those are two projects that I'm pretty into right now. Um, I recently started a hardcore band, so I'm making. No shit, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, there's always stuff I'm working on. So, like you said, that's great when you have the the band, right? And and a proposal and a thriller novel that you're writing. I mean, that's yeah, that's a good way to keep it diverse. (laughs) Yeah. What's the band like? What's it has a name? Not yet, not as oh, yet. Okay. No, it's just it's kind of like Black Flag. Kind oh, okay, of stuff. nice, nice. All right. So, tell me the the next few questions um, are going to be 
No, a bit, a bit deep. Although I think with you, everything we've talked about is pretty deep. But <laughs> so tell me, um, what's the biggest risk you've taken in your career? Uh, okay. Um, dropping out of law school. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That would have been one. So I got, I got in law school a few years back. Um, I was doing really well, actually. I had a high distinction average. I was doing really well. And I suddenly had this moment where I was like, I do not want to do this in 10 years' time. I don't want to be a lawyer. And it was just, it was this moment where I suddenly knew that if I kept on going where I was going, I would hate right. my life. So I dropped out. Wow. Now, for six months, I pretty much didn't do shit. I just sat on my couch and watched Scrubs. <laughs> Love that show, by the way. Thank you. Great show. It's Great show, man. Really yeah, underrated. So, yeah. People don't take it serious. And I'm like, that show is a fucking amazing. Oh, I love that show. Yeah. I'm not crazy about the new school. And that was all I did. So, remember the new one where they became instructors? Season yeah. nine. Yeah. Didn't like kind it. Kind of waned after that. Didn't but like overall, it. Good no. No. <laughs> the overall, good show. What were you were saying? Um, that was a big risk. Cause, you know, yeah. I mean, like, my life could have just gone completely to pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, like, if you're in law school, you should probably finish law school, you know, but I knew I wouldn't be happy. Right. And I, I took a bet on the fact that I'd end up being happier if I went somewhere else. Were you, were you writing back then or no? At, at that point, I wasn't writing. I was, I was in a lot of therapy for some pretty deep depression at the time. So I, I wasn't really writing. Hmm. I kind of got back into writing shortly after that on the urging of my therapist. You know, she said that it would be good for me, and it was. Wow. Wow. And I mean, that's, that's great. Again, I, I'm pretty honest about this. No, you know, you, know what's, you know what's funny? And that brings up something that. Uh, I was going to talk about after after the recording, but hey, why not now? Is that um, I'm the same way, right? So I'm in therapy, right? And mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, like it's 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 to the point where I even made um, this thing called the uh, Creatives Against Depression, and it's a publication on mm-hmm. Medium and uh, and a site and a blog, yeah. and trying to see if we can do more kind of analog and and do you know talks and lectures and 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 uh, volunteering for nonprofits and that sort mm-hmm. of thing because. You said it. It's you know, it's fucked up that that we there's a stigma. Yes, it is. You know, yeah. and the second you say it, mm. people get uncomfortable, and and you just have to be like, hey, mm. just because I'm in therapy doesn't mean I'm fucking crazy. And guess what? Even if I'm fucking crazy, right, yeah. who cares? Yeah. You know. Uh, look, I I think it's important to be honest about yeah. this stuff because. I feel like younger people, yep. particularly you know, like people just in high school, finishing school, they don't know how to start a conversation about the fact that they are feeling mentally unwell. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to start a conversation about the fact that they can't get out of bed. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's a really hard conversation to start with people because you don't want pity. You don't want people to judge you. You just want to talk about it and explore it with people. But, you know, it, it's hard to start in that conversation. So I think the, the only way to do that is to... It's for people who have more experience with it, who've kind of gone through that. People like, like me who have struggled with it for a long time to just be open and honest and try to encourage other people right. to be. No, you're right. Absolutely. So I think definitely that'll be something that we'll chat about after uh, afterwards. We have time. But so tell Absolutely. me, name your biggest fear creatively. Sure. My biggest fear is that I will stop being creative. Good one. Because if you think about it, I mean, that's, that was what someone said. Is like uh, we get a lot is the fact that you you suddenly no longer are relevant, you know, and yeah. and, you're, yeah. and you realize that your following or your audience or anything like that just vanishes overnight. Yeah, and that's you know essentially I want to always be doing yeah. creative things, you know, and if I'm not, then I'll feel like my life will be pretty empty. 
after I want to always be blogging or writing books or starting punk bands or starting businesses or doing freelancing or giving to all this stuff. I want to do it, you know, and if I stop doing that, that's when I'm going to be unhappy. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, can, I can say that. I don't think it's any coincidence that my worst moments of depression coincided with my least creative periods of my life. And that's not a coincidence. Yeah. No, I can, I can say the same thing that there's been times where I took a job that was very, uh, all-encompassing and didn't leave me very much time or or inspiration to do anything else and uh and it, it sucked it fucking sucked because like you said i yes. it yeah. was even if it was remotely, remotely creative it was still a job that was very stressful and um when i got home i didn't want to pick up a camera i didn't want to look at my computer uh all i would do is play yeah. video games and then maybe read a book and go to bed and then just rinse and repeat the next day and it, it was really tough you know yeah. So name your most meaningful moment in your career thus far. Career or life? Uh, career. Career, okay. So it would be a little while ago. Um, I got an email from someone who had survived cancer, mm -hmm. and they said that my reading my blog had given them some, like, much needed motivation to start getting their life back on track now that their diagnosis was clear. Wow. That to me is the most meaningful moment I could possibly have imagined. Like, yeah, you know, I don't think I could achieve much more than helping someone who has almost died. That's yeah. It. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, shit, that's, that's definitely deep. So tell me on the opposite end of that spectrum, what's the biggest regret in your career? The biggest what, regret. Sorry. Biggest regret. Uh, I, I don't want to sound like a dick, but I don't think I really have any regrets. No. You know, like, yeah, you know, it's funny people say that looking all the time. Back, I can see that there, there's some things that I did were that were stupid. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of stupid things. You know, like I turned down jobs that would have been cool. I didn't start companies that would have been cool. But I don't really regret them because I'm happy with where I am. You know, I think I've I think I've reached a really good point, and you know, to re to regret something kind of suggests that I wish my life was a different thing than it is now. Right, right. And I'm I'm really happy, so I, like, I wouldn't really call it a regret. Could I have been a more successful musician? Sure. Would that have been fun? Yeah, but you know, I'm good. Yeah, that's great. That, that's what you said. Like, if if you had to change anything, then I mean, butterfly effect. Okay, movie, but just saying it has a point where you sit there and say like you wouldn't be where you are now. Exactly. Yeah, you know, would I be living with my girlfriend who I love? You know, like, you know, that's why I don't regret going to uni because you know, I met her. Like, you know, we are crazy in love together. You know, that's that's awesome. So, you know, despite the fact that my life could have been different if I hadn't gone to uni, I don't regret it. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, what's been your biggest failure? Biggest failure would be my first company. Um, it was a music management company, and I ended up with thousands and thousands of dollars in debt after it, and my co-founder ended up going to prison for assaulting a bunch of people. That is my biggest oh, failure. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, that's yeah. a dumpster fire if I ever heard one, so good job. You yes. didn't pull any stops. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, that awesome. was it. That was a massive, monumental, you know, weapons-grade fuck-up. <laughs> I like that one. Weapons grade fuck up. I like that. So tell me, um, this is our probably our deepest one, right? Especially for people like us who 
mm-hmm. who love being open and sharing things with people. If you couldn't share your work with anyone, not your girlfriend, not your audience or anyone, would you still create your art? Sorry, you cut out there at the end, man. So I said, if you couldn't share your work with anyone, not your girlfriend, not your uh, family or any of your following, would you still create your art? Yeah. I create a lot of stuff that no one will ever consume or hear. Um, I write a lot for just myself, so I have an you know, entire drive, um, which is just full of random thoughts and ideas and the things I wanted to write for me. And I have songs and you know, whole albums I've recorded that are just for me and so many drawings that I'll never show anyone, largely because you know I kind of create as a reflex. If I'm not doing anything else, like if I'm not playing Doom on my Xbox, I'm just creating something random on my iPad, you know? Right. And it might not necessarily ever be for consumption, but it's just there because I have to do this stuff. Right, right. All right. Well, listen, John, thank you for taking the time out today. It was great getting to know you more. Awesome, man. Uh, I've been a big fan of your writing. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, yeah. It's been a, I've been a big fan of your writing for a while, so it was great to chat. Can't wait to see your books come out. All right. Here's some, here's some of your awesome, new music. <laughs> So tell me, where can people check out your stuff and learn more about what you do? Sure. So the best thing to do is to go on johnwestenberg.com or check me out on Twitter or on my Medium. All right. And what's it, just so people know, what's your uh, Twitter handle? Sure. It's at John Westenberg. Must be nice. J-O-N-W-E-S-T-E-N-B-E-R-G. Yeah. Everyone who got their whole name just kills me. I never could get it. It's great. Yeah. No, it's great. Yeah. I know someone that has their first name. That's it. I'm like, ah, that's so cool. <laughs> it does help that not many people spell John, just J-O-N. Yeah. So that kind of yeah, helps me a lot. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so last but not least. It's actually from the Dutch. I'm pretty sure it'd be, it'd be Jan, technically. Oh, there you go. John. Yeah. <laughs> so last but not least, who's someone that you would like to hear us talk to on the show? Douglas Copland. He's a Canadian author who wrote a book called Life After God, which is the single greatest book I've ever read in my entire life. And it's what I would take with me if I was on a desert island. It's a book which is a series of vignettes about people who are living empty lives. And it's an amazing book that I just can't get enough nice. of. All right. I'll definitely check it out. Well, listen again, John. Thank you for taking the time out, oh, absolutely. chatting with us, and uh, we'll, t- we'll chat soon. Great, man. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thank you.